This is Power to Become, the podcast. So the idea of um, one of the things that we we get mixed, we, we get taught over the years is that it's not what you know, but who you know. And yeah. in all actuality, that's not, I've learned that to be not so accurate. And the reason is I have a lot of people that I know within my community meaning my network, who I absolutely love. So like, you know, like, and you know, I know them, I like them, but I can't trust them to recommend them to somebody else. Because that the problem with that is that your reputation is online. So you come to me and you say, Donald, I want to find a job and tell me your credibilities. Well, I do this and I do this. Oh man, great. Um, then I refer you to someone, hey, Joe, here's a friend of mine who's looking for a job. His credibility is here, blah, blah, blah. Joe now doesn't necessarily look at the individuals. You know, all the, of course, he's going to evaluate him, but he's going to be like, Donald, you, you know, Donald told me this guy was good, so I'm going to go with this. But then what if you go work and then in the past, in the first month, Joe is like, what in the world? Why was Donald recommend this dude? He is not a worker at all. You know, and then it, it totally sabotaged my reputation. And then Joe next, then this guy next time is not going to be willing to accept anyone that I recommend because I, I don't have a good track record per se. So mm-hmm. my credibility is on the line. And, and if I, if I trust you, then I can recommend you. And sometimes you go back to the Rosa Park example, Rosa Park was not the first person that wouldn't get, get up, give up her seat. Rosa Park, I mean, the, the thing that Rosa did was she was sitting in her right, in the right section. It was the section that they classified as a col- colored section. So she sat in the right section of the bus and it was the first seat in that section, however. And the idea is if the bus get really packed, then black people, you just have to get up and keep moving further to the back. And even if you're mm. in the right position, we're still going to take those seats. So they took her seat. Now, again, many of the people have been in a situation like that. They've been thrown off the bus. They've been arrested just like Rosa had. But why did Rosa's situation get bigger? She was entrenched in her community and she knew a lot of people. A lot of people to trust her. She had connection with both the, um, you know, some of the, some of the white community, some of the, and obviously a lot of the black community because of this, so, because of her red, what, uh, reputation that helped her. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask. So when that happened, when she decided that she wasn't going to move from her seat, um, did she immediately have people backing her up or did it take time? So what happened is kind of like saying, um, tell me who is the most nicest person you could think about at school right now. One of your professors, maybe a, a female professor, just so nice and calmly yeah. um, or someone you might know in your network, your family community okay yeah i've got one <laughs> what, who's that person um as one of my best friends um and it, it is mostly just because they're my best friend because i know i can trust them i'm gonna stick around them so now you get a call and you hear that this best friend is in jail you'll you'll be like what how what are they doing in jail explain that to me they got arrested for what? That sounds so stupid. No way. Yeah. Let's go fix this. Guys, this is a this is this is enough is enough. How in the world is Rosa gonna get arrested for they're gonna arrest her for something like this? Let's make something happen. We gotta make a change. It just tipped. 
at that point. And because she knew so many people was so connected in her community, it made it that she was the perfect candidate for one, to allow to help to push the change. And two, the right enough amount of people were able to back that um, and back her cause. And there's stories, you can go Google it, of other people who were arrested before Rosa for the same thing, good people as well. But again, they didn't have the connections that Rosa did. So when they heard, other people heard about it, it didn't cause that effect. So same thing with you as a, as a college student or anyone as a, as a student right now, you're looking at yourself and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to, um, you know, I, I'm ready to go and get my, get a job. Well, you may have done all your good stuff as a student. You may have gotten straight A's. You may have gotten all that stuff. But if you don't have a deep network, when that time comes for a critical move, a critical situation, then, you know, straight A's can only get you so far because that those, mm-hmm. those programmers that are out there that you're, that you're supplying to, you're applying your job, applying for, they're looking at a resume and looking for keywords. Um, it's like AI is filtering your resume before you even get to someone to the hiring manager. But if you have those right people, then you get done. I'm not saying you slack off, but you still need to have decent grades. But if you have a you know, good grades and somebody is in a company and they say, you know, I really like this Marco guy and you have a bunch of people like that, you're you're way more likely to land that dream job and get further than the other person. Um, so that's the concept that I, I encourage in my talk. Yeah. Um, even... I mean, especially for students right now that are graduating college um, during this time where, you know, jobs are kind of scarce. People are worried about losing their jobs. Um, You know, I think that network is so important. And the truth is, like, hopefully graduates right now have been networking since at least last year, you know? You hope, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, has there ever been a time that someone didn't trust you, maybe because of a mistake that you had made or maybe something that you actually didn't do, but it just you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Yeah, um, I would say one that it, it, it was a yes and no. I was working on my Eagle Scout project, and um, okay. everybody knows how this works. If you're a member <laughs> of the church, you know you turn like 18 and you're close to or your 18th birthday, unless you're in certain parts of the world where it's just kind of like you know your parents push you and you get your stuff like at 14. But a lot of us will yeah. procrastinate and wait, and then all of a sudden it's like you know you have a few months before your 18th birthday, and you're like, oh crap, I need to finish all the stuff up uh-huh. in time. I was doing that and I remember reaching out to this gentleman and I know, and he said, you need to connect with these folks. So I was connected with somebody in the community. This guy didn't know me too well. And when I asked him to say, you know, Hey, I need help doing this. This dude said, and and it stuck with me forever. He said, an emergency on your part doesn't make it an emergency on my part. Oof, that's rough. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, dang, an emergency on your part doesn't make it an emergency on my part. And he was totally right. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to help me at that time. Fortunately, I did have people that I knew and that trusted me. And I was able to get the right help, um, you know, right individuals to help me. But it was much harder. And I got rejected the first time um, by... Mm 
by uh, by an individual. So the point here in, in that it, it hurt, but I understood, and I bet you uh, that I never made that mistake again. Um, I, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so in in what ways, like how how would you not make that mistake again? Because I mean, I was also an 18 year old getting my Eagle Scout, <laughs> and I read through the the fine lines to make sure that even though I was already 18, I could still turn in paperwork, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but like sometimes that procrastination follows us through college, and hopefully not the beginning of your career, but sometimes like. In what ways did you um, avoid that in the future? Yeah, one of the big thing that I, one of the things I'm a big proponent of is um, is planning, and I think my mission helped me with that part because mm. you're you are just uh, you are infused with the idea of planning. You have your weekly planning, you have your daily planning, you have your follow mm-hmm. up of the day every day. You you have this. All of this type of all of these things that that uh, that uh, ties into it. So that helped me after finishing up that uh, finishing up that my Eagle Scout project and getting ready to go on a mission, and then going on a mission. It gave me the direction that I needed, and and that helped me. And in college, I got whiteboards and I put whiteboards in my my room, and I would make sure that I plan out like uh, my semester or my weeks and and things of that nature, so I can be I can see my goals and I can be on top of it. Now, do I have I had a situation where I did slack and I didn't uh, plan as much? Of course, um, but those are you know those are the times that are not like uh, it doesn't. I, I strive to not make that the norm, and with proper planning, that becomes you know that that becomes uh, the norm, and it helps me to be able to overcome those um, those tough times or those challenging times where. I may have procrastinated where I'm, where it could be easy to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Okay, let's let's take a step back and talk a little bit about your transition from graduating into the actual corporate world, where you got your first job because you were working in sales jobs, right? Yeah, and and I've heard a lot of people talk about how um, they always say. I never thought I was going to end up in sales. Like I thought that was like the career that like when you didn't know what you wanted to do, you kind of just like fell into it. <laughs> so, so what, what was your path? Because did it, did it just kind of like come to, as an opportunity or did you always know you wanted to do sales? I, do you know where um talking to Rexburg right now where the, I think it's, is you know, uh, LDS, not LDS, is there a Desert Book? Yeah, Desert Book. And right yeah, yeah. Across the street from that, on the south side of the road, there were mm-hmm. a few houses. And that's where I lived. Um, so oh, okay. And yeah, it's completely torn down. Yeah. There's a big buildings. <laughs> yeah, I think um, right now on top of my house would have been the, is there a Jimmy John's there? Or um. Yes, or maybe maybe there's a Five Guys. There's some restaurant. Five Guys. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. So um, the point is, though, I was in that at that house, and I remember was talking to my friend Shem Carlson. He was like my mentor, and he said that um, 
you know, what I was trying to figure out. And one of the things that he shared was like, man, you got this per you're outgoing. I think it was Shem or some, some folks in the house or visitors there. And they're like, man, you should go and consider going into sales. And Shem was one of them because I was just like outgoing. It's not the, that's not the requirement to go into a sales job. But fortunately I had, a, did have a, a background of, you know, business and desire for entrepreneurship and things of that nature. But I did take it and I went and found a couple of jobs um, locally and that tied to sales. And I did fall in love with the idea of, of sales, selling something. And I just practiced that throughout my college experience. So I, did I know I wanted to come into sales? No. Going into college, I knew I wanted to go into business. Um, prior to college, I wanted to do, and before, prior to my mission, I wanted to do business slash law. Um, where I could do a lot mm, of okay. um, and and do my uh, and, and do business as well. But when I came back from my mission, I knew it was directly business, and I didn't. And going to college, then I figured out what part of business I gravitated towards, and it was the marketing and sales. But okay, so I wanted to cl- I want to clarify something really quick because you said you just kind of loved sales, you loved selling something. Um, it, but is there more to it? Because honestly, a lot of people listening are probably going to think like summer sales, like <laughs> car salesmen. Um, like what? It, maybe there's more specifics to what you love about sales. Great question. There are a lot of people who. So it's definitely not summer sales. Summer sales. I did do that one summer, but that's not and, the the sales I'm talking about. It, it, okay. the, the principle though or it's kind of in the in a similar vein the idea of sales where you are finding a problem for someone or uh, solving a problem for someone sometimes a problem they didn't know they have and you're able to help them convince themselves that's just like it's it's a, it's exhilarating for me right being able to find mm-hmm. people reach out to them share with them a thing that I see as a problem that they could have and then them, you know, grabbing their attention for them to say, yes, that is true. I never realized it. I do have that problem. And then guiding them down the process by asking effective questions that they convince themselves that they need to do it as opposed to the old school way of selling where it's like you're trying to trick somebody into doing something. When you ask the right question and people can recognize it and raise their hand, sometimes people raise their hand and you say, you know, Donald, it's true. I, that could be a problem for us. It's not something right now. I don't want to do anything. Then it's fine. Then I move on. But finding people who say, yeah, that I do recognize the problem. I have been thinking about it. I do want to fix that problem. Can you help me? And then being able to be the person that come in and show them that solution and seeing them, the light on, you know, how they get lit up and how they, the company might change. Because a lot of our, the sales that I work with right now, they're business to business, B2B sales mm-hmm. where it's, you know, there are thousands of dollars that you're looking at, um, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah. usually it's a, it's not a one person making a decision of 45 minutes on the doorstep, but this is something yeah. that you're going to need a board to approve and it could take, you know, two, three months, but you're solving a, a huge problem in, in a sense. So that's where, that's the type of sales I'm looking at and that I do on a regular basis. So you, you got a job in sales and it, you, I'm sure you loved it because you moved into your own company, your own LLC, where you're helping coach people into sales. But what was that transition like? Like you always, like you've mentioned that you wanted to always be an entrepreneur. You liked building things. Um, at what point did you decide? Okay, this is the direction I'm going to go. Um, in college, 
I, it was that same apartment I was telling you about. We lived in a basement. I put it on a whiteboard and I put a time period, X amount of years that I want to do. One, go back to grad school for an MBA or two, create a startup that can help me get that MBA knowledge <laughs> and <laughs> um, whatever comes first. And the time period between graduation and working, I labeled as experience and capital, meaning I was going to save up some money and then also gain business experience. Fortunately, in sales, I did. We were able to pay off debt before I got married. I mean, when I got married and we had a little savings and it was just in a good time. And it came when the company I was working for at the time, they had made some, the, the corporate, uh, the company, the, the leadership made some decisions that wasn't conducive for um uh, an atmosphere that I liked and also mm. just like a you know, specifically a deal that I was working on. They changed up the game and I, the house always wins. You always need to remember that. Uh, <laughs> the house, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> so I don't gamble. We don't gamble, but in, if you, anyone knows about like, you know, Las Vegas or a casino, it doesn't matter yeah. how many, how much an individual might go to gamble. They're going to, you know, they might win every once in a while, but the house, the casino, they, it's a, it's a um, game. They're always going to win in the end. Yeah. They make more money. It's like, or going to like a buffet, you know, you go to a buffet you, nowadays, nobody's going to a buffet, right? But you go to a buffet yeah. and you spend, you spend 25 bucks. You might say, yeah, I'm going to eat a lot. You eat two plates. Well, your plate cost them, me whopping what, $7. But got more money on you and you're thinking that you won. And then, you know, a lot of people will go there and they'll probably just eat one plate. There'll be that one person. I, I'm sure I was that guy at one point or had friends that would eat a lot. And maybe mm-hmm. you know, we would eat the cost of what we spent or pretty darn close to it. But the majority of people will never, ever hit that, that, uh, that threshold. So therefore, the house is always going to win. They're always going to make money. So in the corporate yeah. sense, especially in a sales you work a deal, you get 10% and the house get the lion's share. If I close the deal, they pay you handsomely, but then they give you a percentage, meaning the house is going to get the lion's share. The house is going to win. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes some organization, they get this and they'll give you, they'll be nice and be, uh, you know, they'll say, well, salespeople, you're great. So we're going to give you a way that you can gain good money as well as because we know you're going to keep bringing them back. So the organization changed our comp plan, essentially. And it was favoring the house way more than it was me as a rep. And I worked on a pretty sizable deal and the house took a lot of the money <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and a lot more time period before I, um, what you call it, before I was going to recoup and see some of that benefit. So it made me realize if I continue down this path, I'm going to make them richer and it's not going to be in my best benefit. I have enough experience. I've been doing my podcast for a couple of years at this point, and I had people that were, you know, requesting me to do coaching. If I was to continue doing that, I knew I could continue to grow. And before that, my wife and, and I had made a decision: if I do leave, I need to be making um, enough money to take care of the biggest portions of our ex- family expenses, just her and at the time as well as I need to be making that money consistently at least three months in a row, like not just one month here, one month there. So when we hit that threshold and think we had savings, it just, and that happened, it just made sense to jump ship, take a risk on my, on myself or continue taking risk on them, um, the company. And that's when I made the decision to jump. 
Man, I, I, I always think that, you know, if I was in that situation, um, truth is I could totally be in that situation in the future. Yeah. It's kind of a terrifying experience, is it not? Oh, it is. And I think that's what makes entrepreneurs like us a little weird. Um, you have to be. <laughs> you have to be a little crazy because you're leaving a – well, it's not necessarily too much. It's it, You are leaving something secure for something that is not as secure. But how secure is a job when they could come in and tell you any day that you're you – know, That you're out. You're done and you have yeah. to go and figure it out. You have no safety net. And yes, as an entrepreneur, it is scarier that you now have to be the person to bring that money to the table, to bring the revenue, to you know take care of your family and to take care of your business. And now then to take bring people on and then to also be in some way connected to their livelihood and their kids and their family livelihood. Now, you have to be a little bit crazy um, to do that. Um, and you meaning that you don't have you, you have fear, but the fear isn't that um, it isn't, isn't that comp- uh, strong where it's going to pull you away. The risk, the reward outbeat the risk is probably the best way. Yeah. To do it. And um, yeah, for me, I saw the risk was there. Yes. And I did have a parachute. I mean, I have some great experience as a sales rep. I knew I could land a job anywhere. I knew I had a good network if I needed it. And I had the option of going to grad school if I needed it. So I had like three or four different options there. And the very first one is that we had the savings and I did have something that was making money and that did have a ramp ramp up. If I just jumped out and say, well, I'm going to figure out a project and figure out how I'm going to make money, that would be, I don't think I have the, 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 the I don't think that's, that it's, it's not even just brave. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. And I've learned too much over the years of preparation that you got to make sure you have a good plan before you execute. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and I think this fits perfectly. One of my favorite quotes from your talk that you gave at Power to Become uh, was this, believe in yourself to stand out. Mm. Uh, and I think, I think why that hit me so hard is because, you know, everybody's trying to stand out, you know, every day I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what could make me uh, more likable, I guess, or just like, obviously, especially right now, interviewing for internships and jobs um, for anyone at the end of their college career, you know, what's going to help them stand out? Um, I think a lot of us are missing the fact that you need to believe that you're going to stand out, believe that you actually, that you actually are different from everybody else. Yeah. Because if you don't, I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't believe that, and if you, and I'm thank you for, I'm glad you, you enjoyed the talk. If you don't believe that in yourself, then there's absolutely no way that somebody else is just going to have that belief in you randomly. Um, you you got to show up with that, and um, and and a lot of sale, a lot of uh, all of us, everyone listening to this podcast who's graduating right now or in that process of graduating, you are a sales professional. Um, you have to sell someone on taking you on as a as a liability. Because there's no way you're going to help them make money right away. You're going to need training. You're going to need growth. They're going to say, can this person help us to grow our HR department? If, can this person help us to grow our marketing? Can this person help us to, to, to grow in our, in our accounting? Or in, you know, can this person help us to grow sales revenue? How long is it going to take them to get up to par? 
And then it's your job to quote unquote, help them to convince themselves that you, you're not a risk, but you are an asset that can bring some results in the, in the end. Am I making sense mm. there? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta bring that, uh, believe in yourself so you can sell them, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's so true. And, um, they always tell us, all of my professors have mentioned that, you know, in an interview, if you're faking it, they're, they're going to know. They're going to be able to pick out anybody that is trying to sell something that isn't there. So believing in yourself to stand out is such a huge importance because, you know, if you can believe that it's true, then it will become true. Mm. And then you're not trying to fake anybody out. Yeah, it is. It's amazing how that happens too, because the, what typically happens though, is that we do the opposite, right? As, as business owners or as sales reps or as individuals or as college students, as human beings, we tend to focus on the negative or what could go wrong oftentimes and not what could go right. Our brain, mm-hmm. the way that it's worked, it doesn't know the difference between a thought that is a truth and a thought that's a lie. The brain is just going to act accordingly. So if I tell myself that there's a monster under my bed, in all reality, I know there's no monster, but my brain is going to start making me think that there is a monster. Why is it so <laughs> dark? Why is it so scary? What's that noise? And then I start to, you know, you build off of that. But if I told myself, no, there's no monster under the bed, there's no such thing. My brain is going to act accordingly because it doesn't know. We, what we feed our brain is what, 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 the, what it acts upon. So if I say, yes, I am a good employee, I am the best person for this job, and I start believing that, then I'm going to act accordingly. If I say, no, I don't know enough, I'm not going to succeed, then I'm not going to work, then it's, of course, that's what's going to come across. But when you are genuine, you say, you know, I don't, I remember there's a, a role and I think I maybe said this in my talk. I was one of the companies I was applying for early on in my career. I, they needed someone with 10 plus years experience in software sales. And I said uh, to the CEO, because he was a part of the interview process, Hey, I don't have that much experience. Or he asked a question, why should I hire you when you don't have that much experience? When I got people out here who are way more than mm-hmm. And I said, it's because I am Donald freaking Kelly. And, and it was like, uh, okay, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's like I was the student body president in of my in, in college. I ran for that. I, you know, we became one of the our campaign was one of the most successful campaigns when we had it set up in that way. I worked as a soft uh, in other position. I did door to door security sales. All of those other jobs, I became. I sold a lot for a uh, a small company. Um, IT training classes. I mentioned all of these things. And I said, all of those things came back because I worked and I pushed myself and I did, I hustled through it. So if you give me a shot, I know that I can succeed here as well. My track record proved it. Essentially, I kind of paraphrase, but then Mm -hmm. he's like, all right. And they hired me because I believed in myself. If I said, well, I never did this job before. I never sold software. I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I don't think it's going to work. Then how is that going to do any confidence? He's going to be like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes people know that you don't know everything. You're coming out of college for goodness sakes. They just want to know, yeah. you to learn and do you have a desire? And that's what you have to sell. And the, the story that I'm trying to tell is we have been blessed and giving, given certain skills certain knowledge, certain talents to help us in this time period in our life. It's our obligation 
to take the talents and skills we have been endowed with and use it not only for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of those who are also uh, around us, people that we're going to serve. Too many of us takes our talent and we bury it as that that as in the story of those talent. We take our talent and we bury it and say, well, you know, we put ourselves down. I can't do this. It's not going to work. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to land this job. We have too many people who tell us we can't do something. We have a father in heaven who believe in us. That's the person we should listen and we should follow. And mm-hmm. uh, if we want to really have this time be a worthwhile time on earth, then we need to capitalize on the talents which we have and make them better. You may have been given raw talent, but your job is to make that better. If you can write really well, then good. How can you write excellent? How can you get an article in the New York Post, at the New York Times, that's going to touch or impact other people's lives? That's how you're multiplying that talent. That's how, if you're a speaker, can you get on stage? That's not for the, the, the glory, but it's, it's just a story, ability to help somebody else hear or improve. If you're a doctor or great at you know, healing, helping people heal, then why not make, why, why limit yourself to just going to, you know, you know, being a, a little, uh, a, I don't know, like a, a, a doctor in a school, which no, nothing against that. But why not try to go to John Hopkins and become uh, one of uh, a top scientist that can help mankind and discover a cure for cancer? That's how you. Sh- that's that's the story I want you to tell. So if you feel like you're living below your capabilities, then repent, change, <laughs> fix it, get up and make it happen. And if you feel like you're you have a desire for a job and you're just thinking, well, I just want to get something so I can put food on the table and take care of my family, you can do that. But I can tell you, you're going to rob yourself of a much much pleasurable reward of being able to not only bless you and help your family, but bless and help others around you by impacting more people. So push yourself, do your best. And one of the things I always tell people is just challenge yourself to go out every single day and do big things. So I hope that story can help you. And that's the mission. Yeah, no, I that's awesome. I think um, President Hinckley said, a life is to be lived, not just endured. Oh. Um, yeah. Because like, you know, people, uh, we all have so- uh, hopefully something that we're passionate about that we desire to help people. Um, and so let's use it. Let's go out there and, you know, because we have that power. So yeah. anyway, thank you so much for spending this time with us, Donald. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, for trusting me, and uh, giving me the opportunity to share some uh, some some stuff that you know that hopefully can bless and, and help somebody else. <laughs>